going on guys welcome back to the no bad dogs podcast this is a podcast with a malinois that is doing malinois stuff so super protective over mom had some incidences with the dog running after some people but not making any decisions to do anything further other than scare the crap out of them so we're also going to be talking about e-collar conditioning and introduction, which is very important if you're not familiar with it. So it's a good podcast packed with really good information. And at the end of the podcast, you guys are listening to this and I'll be answering your questions. If you guys are listening to this right now and you have a question for me, you can always head over to the No Bad Dog Members Club, which if you guys don't know what it is, I'll just let you know right now, it's probably single-handedly the most beneficial cost-effective way to train your dog in the world as far as dog training goes. You guys got to know that when people come in to my three-day program, which is $3,000 per person, we film the process. And then in the members club, we post the filming process of them before and after each time they come in in the members club. So right now there's over $300,000 worth of dog training stuff that people have already paid for in there. And you get access to my full dog training team as well and you get the no bad dog members club and we go live once a week to answer your questions with me and if you just want to support us that's the best way to do so people ask all the time like hey man i want to support you you're doing all this shelter stuff you're doing this i love what you're doing we don't have a crowd whatever they're called i don't know but you can join the members club and you get a bunch of cool stuff with it but uh anyway you can also ask questions with me on this podcast for free as well. You can head over to the iTunes review chart and leave your review and I'll answer it next episode. So at the end, I'll be answering those. Thank you guys for listening as always. We're currently traveling right now to Minneapolis and DC uh, working with sheltered dogs that need help. So I'm excited to deliver that content for you guys as well. All right, guys, enjoy the podcast. Talk to you at the end. What's going on? Uh so I had seen your videos. I've seen you work with like aggressive dogs or reactive dogs, I should say. Um, and I, like your work is amazing. Like Thank how you. you turn these dogs around. And um, well, I got out of the, I got out of active duty from the military about three years ago. So I worked with the canine units mm-hmm. down in uh, Groton, Connecticut, and I bought a Belgian Malinois coming home you know having all that spare time working with all those dogs for so long you you start to love them and they grow on you Mm -hmm. and uh, I I bought him I put him through obedience Uh, we didn't go through any bite training or anything like that he is extremely reactive to people Um, I've tried everything he wears a prong collar we've gone through uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with any of the canine training in New England but uh, we've gone through New England canine which is a facility based out of Massachusetts. Uh, he works with the state police dogs. And uh, we went through that again, went through that same obedience course again. Um, he's extra obedient when he's on leash and I'm walking him. Um, he's fantastic. Mm-hmm. He's very attentive. He's very smart. He listens like, you know, at the snap of your finger to do whatever you ask. But the second that someone goes to walk past me uh, and or behind me or someone is near my front door, he just goes absolutely out of control. Uh, yesterday, we had a huge snowstorm up here in Maine, and uh, I went to go inside with him, and my foot slipped on the metal coming in the door, and there was a man standing outside of his door right next to my door. We live in an apartment complex. Mm. Uh, the leash came off of my hands, and he charged at this person. Uh, he didn't bite him. He just charged at him and started barking at him. So... I'm a little bit I'm a little bit at a loss with what to do with him. He's beyond obedient on the leash, like I was saying before. Um, but this reactivity is something that like I haven't been able to get under control. And it's not something that we learn in the military. We literally train them to be like riot dogs or, you know, they do bite work and things like that, but they're still reactive to people. So it's not something that we've ever gone over. Um, how to make a dog unreactive. So I'm hoping you can maybe provide some insight or some guidance um, on how to go about, you know, uh, dealing with this. Yeah, sure. Okay. And ex- sorry, what what is, what's the age of the dog again? He's three years old. Three. That's what I thought you said. And is he intact? Yeah, no, he's not. He was fixed last year. Okay. And his temperament, like, it's gone down drastically. He's not as reactive as he was before. 
but it's still something that's like unmanageable. Okay. Okay. And so like, so leash reactivity is the, the biggest problem. Pretty much. Yeah. That and like any, if, you know, if he is off leash, he will charge. He won't bite. He's never bitten a person, but I'm worried that like he will. Okay. So a couple of things and that I would start with is, you know, without stating the obvious, it's, it's protective behavior. So dogs in general, doesn't matter if it's a Malinois or, you know, a, a Husky, whatever, they can be protective. Some dogs more than others, depending on their genetics, their relationship, etc. So, um, you know, obviously with a more working line type dog, they're going to be more intense. They're probably going to be more protective, uh, it seems that no matter what you do, we can't fulfill them, no matter how much we work them either, or it's hard to, unless they're working, you know, unless they're actually in the back of a police car or working on a base or something, they're just constantly be putting through drills. It's still hard. So anyway, all these things, which you know, um, when you're... <sighs> What What is your ultimate goal with the dog? Is it to be not leash reactive, I would assume? Uh, yeah, I, I would say so. That's kind of like the basic goal that I would like to have at this point. Um, I Like I said, like when he charges people, um, he is completely out of my control. Okay. Um, so I just like to somehow associate like strangers with like good things so he doesn't think that he has to protect me all the time, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, yes. So one part would be doing the absolute best that you can to associate people, strangers with something good. So you condition the idea of strangers being around you or being yeah, in your vicinity, a good thing, right? So we would reward that. We'd pay that, you know, with food or with toys or we desensitized with play, which is, which is also really helpful for these drivier type dogs because you can get them on a tug and, or a ball on a rope and get around other people. And so it's good desensitization to say, Hey, these people are around, even though you don't know them. And so two things is it teaches the dog that when these other people are around, this good thing happens, which is fun. And then obviously just rewarding the dog for playing, right. And being, and having fun with you around these other people. So it's kind of one hand washes the other. Um, these little surprise things. So judging by what you're saying, and I typically try to go right to the core of the actual problem, which is causing you stress, which is going to be these random times where somebody pops out of nowhere that you didn't expect somebody standing on their front porch that you didn't see, whatever the case is, because I can tell you all day about how to desensitize other people. And, and that's fine. But the reality is, is it seems what's actually happening is, is when your dog reacts, when you don't think your dog is going to react, that's when it catches you off guard and then you lose control. It seems like. So my suggestion is to be working on the things that are allowing you or sorry, the things that are preventing you from having the success. So let's say again, you're on your front porch, you slip, there's a neighbor there, literally right there. And your dog reacts to that person, tries to scare him off. That may never go away for this, like this exact situation, just because it's so random and you can't really train for it because it's, it just is a, a thing that happened, right? You lost your footing and your dog kind of got scared or whatever and then lunged or reacted towards your neighbor. But the reality, what I would be doing if I were you is I'd be working on a really strong recall uh, with remote collar work because that's going to give you the most control no matter what your dog decides to do. That's the first thing. And then secondly would be building confidence and desensitizing around these other people that your dog doesn't know. Or, yeah. Can you hear me? Oh, sorry. You, yeah. Sorry. You cut out. No worries. So I was just saying that there's two steps to this. The first thing is the inevitable of the dog actually like, again, you lose your footing, you slip. Oh crap. And then your dog sees this person and sees it as a threat, whatever. That's likely going to not go away just because of the dog's genetics and working and protectiveness. That's something that you've probably seen for, since he's been mature, but 
I would be working on off-leash e-collar work for the recall because that's what's ultimately going to stop the dog because the second step would be desensitization and building positive experiences around these other people. But the problem you're going to run into is reality. And the reality is, is people are going to pop out of nowhere and scare you and your dog. People are going to walk into a room, walk by a room, walk by your house, walk by your car, whatever. And, and I'm just being real that like, yeah, we can go out and associate all these random people your dog doesn't know with a good experience and your dog may start to gain more confidence around these people. But from what you've told me, some of the experiences that you've had have been kind of warranted to a sense where your dog's like, hey, what are you just doing standing outside of, you know, air quotes, my home? Mm-hmm. So, the re- again, just being as real as I can to get to the point is if you have a dog that instinctually makes the decision to do that out of instinct, that's protectiveness because he has every ability to go up and nail this guy or any other circumstance that you've had of you dropping the leash or whatever, and he's not. So he's telling you very clearly that he's just being protective, saying, hey, there's somebody here. I'm going to try to scare him away. And again, from my standpoint, you should be, there's a lot of people that would be like, man, I'd give anything for that. You know, they're like, my dog actually goes up and, you know, destroys somebody. You know what I'm saying? And so you, and I'm just trying to be like devil's advocate here for you to help you out. But yeah. so for yep. me, it would be looking at this big picture is we have a dog that's naturally going to be protective. That's again, that's not going to be realistic for us to take away, nor do you probably want to take that away. It's just what you're really probably having a hard time with is your off-leash obedience. Because like you said, snap of a finger, this dog is competitive, like super good. On-leash with the circumstances of training, right? But then, because that's what I'm hearing is like, well, he's only so good until we hit a ceiling. And that ceiling is him seeing, you know, somebody scaring him or something. So to me, it's like, we're not going to be able to tell this dog not to be protective. And I think it would be a waste of your time to get to that point. Again, outside of everything that I'm talking about granularly, you can always build confidence around random people. But the reality is, is if you went out for the next two months, played with your dog and paid with your dog food around these other people and stuff and built that confidence, that's fine. And your dog may, that may be beneficial. And it, it is, you should do that. But it's like, let's say again, you slipped or somebody popped out of nowhere. He's still going to react because they're two different things for the dog and the dog's point of view. So if he's, yeah. eyeing, you know what I mean? If he's eyeing somebody when you're out and he's like, uh, but then he makes a good decision and you pay him. That's a completely separate thing from what you're talking about. So what, what I would be focusing on is your off leash obedience more than anything else. Because if your obedience is super tight until it isn't, that just means that you have to level, you have to go that one extra level, which would be off-leash work. Okay. Because it's very situational. So you bring in a dog, you say, Absolutely. hey, this dog is great until he isn't. So that tells me that, like, again, there's there's thresholds that certain dogs will have. So it would be, at the end of the day, you can't control what other people do. You can't control, you know, sometimes what you do, like if you trip or you, whatever, you know what I mean? Like, shit happens so then your dog takes off to scare the crap out of somebody successfully and then what what's happening is is it's not the lack of like again don't try to take that out of the dog because i think you'll just be wasting your time because it is a i would you can i don't want to say i'm just saying like in my experience these are really random situations where you slip and fall and there's literally a guy standing right there and your dog like, holy crap. And then your dog just goes to try to defend yeah. you or whatever, right? These are situations yep. that realistically you can counter all day long with going out. But unless you can recreate that situation, it's going to be very difficult. And then even then, I, I still don't think you should count on it. But if you can count on your obedience, it's going to trump everything. Okay. Because that's what's happening. He takes off. You say, here, come, whatever. And he's like, no, nah, I got to handle, I got to handle this first. So to me, that's not, to me, that's actually just an obedience flaw, an advanced off-leash obedience flaw than anything else. So I would be putting my reps in on remote collar work for sure, because of 
just the nature of the dog and how serious they can get, how powerful they are, and how intimidating it probably is. So let me, yeah. so the picture would look like this. You would do, and, and, and again, this is just my opinion, which is, you know, why we're on the phone. Um, <laughs> you would do e-collar work. So basic e-collar work, foundational work. You don't have to. I'm going to give you two different, two different scenarios. You don't have to, but that's what I would suggest. That way you put your e-collar on and no matter what happens with you and your dog, like you can go to the park off leash and play, or you step outside of your house. Somebody scares the crap out of your dog. Your dog goes, you can recall your dog. So it's kind of the best of both worlds. But right now under these circumstances, what's happening is when he, like, I'm sure when you're doing your obedience, you're doing a mixture of balance. So you're training the dog with lots of rewards. You're using positive reinforcement. If the dog blows you off or, excuse me, pushes boundaries, you're giving the dog leash corrections, whatever. So the dog understands, okay, under these circumstances, I have to fall in line. I have to be obedient because this is what I have to do. The dog understands the difference between rewards and corrections. And that's how you mold and shape. Good, bad. But the problem is, is you get this instinctual, very instinctual thing that pops in. Your dog just reacts. It like fight or flight kicks in. So again, training for it is very difficult because you can't, it's hard to recreate a a car crash. You know what I'm saying? Or it's hard to, like Mm -hmm. in your case, you probably understand this. It's hard to recreate that very stressful situation that actually might happen out in reality. Like when you're training for something, you're like, okay, this is great. But when it actually happens, it's a lot different. And so that's what I would say is just like, I'm going to make sure that this dog understands fundamentally the e-collar. So that way when he runs, you can just grab your remote collar, say your dog's name, come. He's like, nope, I got to handle this. And it's the only thing in the world that can enforce behaviors off leash. And then you can get your dog, dog back. And that's the safest thing to do because I could just tell you, well, don't make those mistakes. Like, hey, your dog's great off leash. Or I'm sorry, your your dog's great on leash. You've done, you know, several obedience courses. Your dog's super obedient, super flashy, you know. And even, you know, you, you'd be like really proud of this dog, right? And you're like, yeah, this dog's kick ass. And it's like, all right, Jenna, just never let your dog get scared or never let your dog off leash. And, you know, these are, these, these are the things that just happen. So mm-hmm. that's what I would recommend because that'll set you up for the most success. The only caveat to this is it just it's one more step up of training uh with that off-leash work which is fine like i'm not worried about the time commitment in terms of like training him we've kind of gone through a little bit like of an introduction to off-leash but never with an e-collar it was always verbal the trainer i was working with didn't agree with them but that's just their opinion um, but we didn't proceed with it simply because of the fact that I was nervous that somebody walked by, you know, that he would charge at them and I have no control. Um, but with the e-collar, the way you're describing it, I think that you're putting it into a different light for me. Like I'm, I'm understanding what exactly what you're saying. Um, so the e- with the e-collar training, I wouldn't want to take him to just any trainer simply because of the fact that like his capabilities um, a lot of trainers don't, I, I'm like it's not trying to like bash any of the trainers around here. Yes, yeah, it's a lot of dog. It's exa- exactly. He's a lot of dog. He's very smart, too, like too smart for his own good um, yeah. at times. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. so with, with the e-collar training, do you offer courses for that? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So we have a, we have a e-collar course like that, that you take on your own terms, you buy it. Some people finish it in a day. Some people take, you know, they chew on it every night. They have a chance. And then we have continual training. So you can work with me online to make sure you're doing everything okay. So you can send me footage. It's basically like working, like if you wanted to work with me in person, obviously it's not the exact same, but as far as you making sure you're doing everything right and you working with somebody that you feel comfortable with, knowledgeable with, that like understands e-collar conditioning and the dog, which I do, that's another option. Um, But of course, you know, if you dig hard enough, you can find somebody... You might have to travel a little bit, but you could. Um, So, and the other thing is too, is like, if you've watched some of my videos, you can check out some of the e-collar introduction stuff I've done. I actually just put one out like last week, basically just showing, like I have my duchy out and I'm just showing the introduction phases and what it looks like. Super simple. Um, Mm -hmm. It's just, you know, with such a powerful tool, you know, like anything else, you have to make sure you, you do it right. 
Um, and so, yeah, so what you would do, and I want you to get like a bigger picture just because you haven't done it yet. Some people I talk to would like, oh yeah, I'm familiar with it. I'll just tune that up, whatever. So essentially the goal of the e-collar is, is you want to teach the dog the, the understanding of what e-collar pressure is. And in the beginning, it's called conditioning. So when you're conditioning, the animal is learning what the remote collar is. And at no point in the, in the introduction stages, is it going to be punitive to the dog? So it's not going to be, I don't want to say it's not stressful because anything new to any dog is stressful. Like even, even the dog waiting for a treat to come out of a bed, it causes anxiety and high levels of stress. They're like, give me, give me the goddamn treat. So, um, so basically what you do is you can, and I'll just give you a crash course. I don't know what you know about it, but you essentially pair the remote collar with pre-known behaviors. And so the e-collar has a huge spectrum, right? You have to get a good e-collar, which if you watch some of my videos, you'll see I have my own signature series with Dog Show. I created it with them. Obviously, that's a good e-collar, but there's others out there. Mm-hmm. And so the a good e-collar will have a spectrum, so low levels that the dog barely feels. And then, of course, if you go up, the dog hates it. But the objective is is to make sure that the dog understands that if that level ever crossed the corrective level into the dog finding discomfort or punitive measures to it, it's because of their safety and others. And that's the only time that that happens in my training, right? There's competitive trainers that will correct a dog uh, because their head went down three inches instead of not, you know, so it's just my, it's just pet training. So for me, um, that's all it is. So you get the dog out you get your rewards. And in most cases, I just use food because tug becomes too distracting. So usually it's just sending the dog to a place and then recalling the dog. So sending the dog and sucking the dog into you. And all you do is classical negative reinforcement. So in this case, the negative reinforcement would be taking the e-collar pressure away once the dog commits to something. That's not because the dog wants to shut it off. Because remember, at this stage, when you're introducing it, it's not punitive. The dog feels it, like somebody tapping on your shoulder, but they don't want to. Mm-hmm. They don't want to commit the behavior because it's painful, and that's really important to understand. And if more people understood that, e collars would g- give so much uh, ability to other trainers. But anyway, so the negative reinforcement. So the negative is taking it away. Oftentimes, when we talk about negative in the dog world, people just think it's means it's not good, but negative in dog training actually means we're removing something. So when we say dog sit, as we say sit, the e-collar is turned on with the behavior that comes out of my mouth, the verbal cue. The -hmm. dog puts their butt on the ground and then we remove the e-collar pressure, like letting our finger off the button. And then we pay the dog. So the dog realizes that when you say something, this low level stimulation that they feel is associated with your voice. So Essentially, every time that you ask the dog to do something as your e-collar training, they're getting a tap on the shoulder, and in this case on their neck, in association with you. And the goal is is for the dog to understand that that stimulation is you, and they shut it off through obedience they already know. Mm-hmm. Super simple. Um, and it actually like when you're in, and again, if you watch my video, I just I have a couple of them, but one I recently did on YouTube because it's for free and you can watch it right now is mm-hmm. it's, it's like kind of boring to be honest. Cause the, <laughs> the, she already knows the behaviors. It's just for people to understand the pressure and the timing. So I go yep. Lakota place and I hold, she gets all fours on it shuts off. So we're, all we're using is negative reinforcement. So we're, we are reinforcing a basic behavior that the dog already knows with the e-collar. So you might ask, okay, and in your case, this is where it applies. Okay, Tom, well, the dog already knows it. The dog's performing beautifully. What's the point of adding the remote collar? Well, it's because once the dog understands the remote collar pressure at a conditioning level, low levels, so to give you context, <laughs> humans usually don't feel the e-collar, feel the e-collar on their face till about a six or a seven-ish on a low I've had Mm -hmm. humans go up to 11, like, oh, yeah, I feel that tingle. We are conditioning our dogs between a three and a five, usually. And so the point of it is, is once the dog understands 
that that little stimulation is you and they understand that they need to do something they already know to shut it off because we practice it for two weeks. Mm -hmm. There's a process of long line work, basically transitioning from on leash to off leash. And the way we do that is through training scenarios, basic training scenarios, super easy, but also the long line. So that way the dog doesn't feel you on top of them, but you have the long line just in case. And in your case, you'll do really great because when there's not a lot going on, or in this case, a threat to you and your dog, your dog's going to respond. So it'll be a super, super easy e-collar introduction. Mm-hmm. But the goal is, is the dog goes, okay, this is you. Got it. Perfect. So now let's say, and this is in the training stages. Let's say like in my course, what we did, and this has actually happened naturally. We didn't mean for this to happen. But when we were filming, we filmed for two days, like for 12 hours, and we combined it down into like a two-hour course. But I had Chipotle for lunch, and we had this German Shepherd puppy who has never been introduced to the e-collar, so it's from start to finish. Uh, by puppy, I mean, I think she was nine, eight or nine months. Mm-hmm. And so once she understood the e-collar pressure, she understood that that was me, which is a couple of drills that you can do to make sure your dog is responsive enough. We let her out on a long line. She went, of course, towards the Chipotle. And we just, (laughs) (laughs) we held the long line. So we just didn't want the dog to get the Chipotle for obvious reasons. But we held the dog there. We didn't correct the dog with the leash. We just stopped them. And then I showed the correction from the e-collar. So we went from uh, Gussie. Her name is Gussie. We said, Gussie, come. And we were at a four or five. That's her conditioning level. So she felt it. 100%. 100%. Mm-hmm. She was just like, yeah, but chicken and cheese and sour cream. <laughs> right? <laughs> so so we yeah. went we went from like a 5 to a 10 maybe out of 100. Uh-huh. Yeah, it goes to 127. So 5 to a 10 and then the correction, it got her attention. She turned around and came back to me and that was it. So that's what the okay. e-collar should look like. That's how it, it's done. Um, but in your case, so let's say there's two different things. This is really cool concept. So there's two different things that happen. Again, the remote collar, whether we like it or not, is the only thing that can enforce the behavior off leash. So to confirm enforcement, it would mean like when we tell a dog to sit and they flip you off and then you use your leash to give them leash pressure to put them into a sit, we're enforcing something. Same thing with law enforcement or being a parent or whatever. You're enforcing Mm -hmm. something. You say, hey, this is what we're doing. They're like, screw you. You enforce it somehow, okay? And so if your dog takes off, and in your case, after your neighbor, and you say, dog, come. And so what happens is, is again, cheese, chicken, sour cream, right? They're like, I'm I'm instinctually doing this, and whatever you're saying, I'm overriding with instinct, which is common. That's, I mean, that's life, right? It's like, oh, the speed limit's 65? Well, I'm late, so I'm going 79 or whatever. (laughs) Like, it's common. Everyone does it every day. But of course, if we went 95, somebody would enforce that. So it's the same thing with dogs. Like, when they get to that point, that's the only thing because you're off leash that you can enforce. So you say, dog, come. They say, no. They're chasing after your neighbor. Now you go up to a 15 and they go, oh, shit. And then they come back. And at that point, it is corrective. It is punitive and they do not like it. But that's the point. Once you do that, like once or twice, in my experience, has been lovely with this. The dog knows like, oh, shit, you can touch me from anywhere. And you're like, yep. And then everything changes. So your your use of the remote collar decreases significantly because of that. Because it would be like, like a lot of dog owners I talk to, on leash, on the collar, whatever collar you're using, prong collar, martingale collar, flat collar, whatever the hell you're mm-hmm. using, it doesn't matter, slip collar. We're perfect. Great. But the problem is, is once your dog gets away from you and they realize that you can't hold them accountable off leash, like if you've ever like, for an example, let's think you're grilling, right? You go, in, yep. you, you go inside to grab salt and pepper, your dog jumps up on the grill and grabs the steak off and you come running over and they run away that's because they don't want to be punished and they want to have they want to have their cake and eat it too. So with the remote collar yep. is you eliminate any of those boundaries up to a half a mile up to a, a mile and a half depending on what e-collar you get. Mhm. So, and how far does yours go? 
mine goes a half a mile. Okay. Um, there's other, I, I have a partnership with Dogja, but I, all my partnerships are very organic. I was using their product well before we established this. So I like Dogja. So some of their other colors will go a mile, mile and a half. But for your dog, okay. you can get, um, you could get like the 1900 or the Arc. And I think they both go, one goes a mile and I think one goes a little over a mile. But, but anyway, so, so again, Hey, I have this dog. Your dog isn't doing anything super strange. It's not like neurotic, weird, unexplainable behaviors. Like when somebody scares the crap out of your dog or is a, you know, air quotes threat to you and he's off leash or gets out of your hand, he's gone and he does. and, And again, luckily he just scares the shit out of people and not actually committing to things. But mm-hmm. the moment you correct your dog 15 feet away from you with a, without a leash is the moment your dog goes, oh, I have boundaries without that thing attached to me too. You go, yep. And they know how to shut up. So it's fair because you've trained with it. We've conditioned with it. It would be unfair to throw somebody who's never done jujitsu into with a black belt. That's unfair. That's not going to work, mm-hmm. right? That, that's, that's, we wouldn't do that. We would train before we get to that point. It's and, and I could use a thousand different analogies, but you get the point. You yep. know, same thing. It's like, oh, here's the Tour de France, and now you're f- you're going down the hill on a bike going seventy miles per hour. It's like, no, we would never do that. So, that's my recommendation to give you like the most efficient, effective, like outcome is mm-hmm. your obedience is great. The only thing you're actually lacking is when your dog goes off leash, you can't reach your dog. Because your dog is doing things, in my opinion, is warranted. You're going to spend so much time trying to deactivate and to unpack a very natural behavior that's very likely never going to go away when the reality is is you should just be working on your off-leash control because that's really the problem. Because if you had a really tight off-leash recall, these things wouldn't be happening. Your dog still would want to. Like It's definitely suppression at that point because your dog's like, I want to go scare the shit out of this guy and maybe pull on his leg. <laughs> and you're like, nope. And they're like, okay. But that's life. I mean, that's like dog owners suppress their dogs every day. Like you go out the door and they want to go with you and you say, no, I got to go to work. Suppression. Like you, you they want to do something and you tell them they can't, period. So yep. there's, you know, there's all these things. So that's what I would do if I were you. And that's like the most cost effective, easiest thing to do is to like, you could start it tonight. You can get going tonight. And then, again, depending on your schedule, what you have available to you, your resources, you could re- you could start working with me online like as early as this week or next week. Um, or mm-hmm. you can try to find somebody that under... I will say this as a warning. Not, not everybody introduces the remote caller like I just said. So mm-hmm. when you call around, you email around, look at their website... If they do remote collar training, it's it's advanced. It's using technology to train a dog, which takes skill. It takes patience. It takes tons of experience. And if you're not any of those things, you're going to either not know what you're doing or you're going to hate it. And that's how it goes. So once you, if you do find somebody that does it, just ask them how they do it because the pretty much polar opposite in the mainstream, not mainstream, but what, you, what you'll find often is... And it's not my place to say it's wrong, right, or indifferent, or it's rather wrong or right, but it's definitely different than how I do it. Yep. Is they won't condition. So they put your dog out on a long line or and an e collar and say your dog goes flying after something. And sometimes we'll just use, you know, like a ball. Like we'll make it, we'll set them up, but it's to try to represent like the highest value that we can. Your dog really wanting to do something. Like they want to go after the person or in this case, they want to chase their favorite ball. We would condition them for two weeks before we did this exercise. Some people wouldn't. It's okay. E-collar, turn it up to 50, recall your dog. When they don't listen, I'm going to hit the button. Now, again, is that the right way or wrong way? That's, I didn't, I don't, nobody writes the book on dog training, but if you're using that way across the board with every dog, there's a great chance that there's certain dogs who would not be like your Malinois might be able to handle that pressure and understand it. But like Susan's doodle down the road that has anxiety issues, not going to handle that. Right. So Mm -hmm. I I just want to be fair because, 
Because again, e-collar training isn't a whole identity. Like if you're like, oh, Tom, that sounds great. Like makes so much sense. I'm going to hire an e-collar trainer and they do it differently. You're going to like be very upset. And so I just want to warn you about that. Yeah. So if we do, if, uh, I'm going to run this by my husband, I think he's going to agree with what you're saying. Uh, and his perspective, like if he was on the phone with you right now, you'd be hearing a whole different side of this dog because he's only known him about a year. Um, in a good way, in a good way. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think he thinks he's a big baby, but like he saw what happened yesterday. Yesterday was, uh, a scary thing for him he started getting really emotional about it because he was concerned about like, you know, his well-being. Because at the end of the day, if he did bite that person, we'd be yeah. screwed, right? This would be a whole different conversation. Yeah, screwed or sued, uh, one or the other. It Screwed, sued, or whatever, right? Yeah. So um, we we talked about it, and he said that, you know, he needs to go through obedience again, and that would be kind of where he's taking, this dire- taking that direction. But I'm taking notes on everything you're saying so I can bring it up to him. But I think that if we did proceed, it would be through you. So we'd likely probably do the virtual training with you with the e-collar, like buy your product and then, uh, you know, go through it with you just so he can hear you say this. <laughs> like yeah. he can hear you say like, no, this is normal. It's instinctual. Like it's literally drilled into the dog's brain. That's what he was born with, Yeah. which I tried explaining, but you know, it's different coming from mm-hmm. me than from a professional. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, so we probably would proceed with you, uh, on that other note, like the, it kind of goes hand in hand a little bit. Right. So we have him as a three-year-old Malinois gone through obedience. We also have a nine-month-old uh, German Shepherd puppy. She's a female. She's on spade. So she's kind of taking his personality on. Um, and she's kind of like becoming her own little lazy version, bigger version of a Malinois. Um, so with that, you know, with these behaviors that he's displaying, we're starting to see it in her. And she's in the middle of her obedience courses. So do you think in your, in your uh, opinion or your experience, have you ever seen a dog like, you know, siblings being raised in the same household, like adopt the other's personality and kind of like do the same thing, like follow their lead? Yeah, of course. Uh, Like, you know, like Uh kids, you know, like big brother type thing, of course, you know, but I've also seen it not. So it's, that's the thing about dogs is it's sometimes it's consistent with things and sometimes it's not. You know, so like your Malinois that gets scared and tries to run off people when they get scared, that doesn't surprise me. But, you know, it's a flip of a coin whether or not the shepherd is going to start acting like that. But oft, I would say often, more oftentimes than not, yes. You just have to, again, I mean, go to the source. So, again, like if, if Big Brother is doing something absolutely ridiculous or, in this case, unsafe, you're stopping that first, if you will. Yeah. You know, and then... Yep puppy you can straighten out but yeah because that's what happens is people have a problem with one dog typically the older dog and then mm-hmm. now they have two problems and they're doing the same thing and and the other thing i'll point out too is it's this it's parenting though too because the reality is, is if you look at it like this is from a dog training standpoint like somebody comes in with an out of control dog i'm not saying you have an out of control dog i'm just saying from, mm-hmm. a, from from my perspective, it'll be helpful for you to look at it this way. If I am a, sitting in my facility, a family comes in with a dog and it's out of control, I would bet money that they're like, oh, our other dog at home, I would say that dog's likely out of control too because whatever you did or didn't do with your first dog, is pr- it's going to produce the same product. Okay. So it's just like with parenting, right? kids at Walmart knocking everything off the shelf, screaming, yelling, absolutely out of control. It's v- it'd be very unlikely that I turned around and the other kids m- so obedient and listens to everything. I mean, it could happen, but it's just unlikely. It's because the the structure, the boundaries, the system, whatever system you're putting into place likely isn't working outside of neurological, you know, problems because there's nothing you could do about that. But I mean, it, it really comes down to in your case, to be honest, like at a grand scheme of things, it's just advanced obedience. Like, hey, mm-hmm. these that shit happens, your dog gets off leash, and again, you get a working line Malinois. <laughs> like, yeah, like it, I, you would be really weirded out if they were a couch potato. You know what I mean? Yes. Like, it's like that's, <laughs> I mean, they're intense dogs. He was fixed after sexual maturity as well. So he's got testosterone, he's got like the, the intensity. 
And so, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, everything you're saying makes sense. Um, so you got to be careful how you set that precedent. And what you want to do is outlet that. Take all that drive and put it into something, which you have, it sounds like. But at the end of the day, if you're zooming out and you're like, what is the actual problem? It's that. So absolutely puppy, monkey see, monkey do. But again, it's not just that. It's also what you're doing too. Absolutely. Which we're being just as strict with her, if not stricter with her than we have, than I was with him. Cause we weren't married when I had, uh, steals the Malinois. Mm. Uh, we weren't married when we, when I had steals. So this whole, uh, I think it's more when I just had him on my own, he was much more disciplined because my husband has never really been around dogs. So I think the introduction of my husband kind of being, a little bit more relaxed than I was kind of made his brain a little confused he was kind of like well what the Mm -hmm. heck like she's expecting this and he's expecting that uh that being said he did start to catch on once the little one started going to training about six months ago um so that being said like everything is now moving in a positive direction with uh you know handler with like handling steel he's handling steel very well um so that's why I kind of wanted to pick up on the virtual training with you, like I said before, just so he can hear this from you as well and he can understand. Um, because I completely get where you're coming from. You know, I've dealt with these dogs for years mm-hmm. and I've never I've never seen a Malinois that's not driven to, you know, work, right? Yeah. So he hasn't seen this. So I think that it would be very helpful if we decided to go that route with you. That being said... Um, when it comes to your virtual training, about how long it, uh, are these courses? Yeah, so the e-collar course is really up to you. Like you can unpack it in a night if you wanted to watch it all the way through. I think it's an accumulative yeah. of a little over two hours, but it it's kind of like um, it's in like sections. So you just watch the sections. And then after that, the online. So I have two different, I have couple different options so obviously you could do this but the best option for you the most reasonable option for you realistic it would be just my online training program which is a 30 day or a 60 day so i think no sorry 30 or 90 i think let me double check but regardless you sign up and you send me footage of what you're doing so what i would recommend for you is you'd get your e-collar that you want you'd watch my free stuff you take the e-collar course so that way you're off to the races. And then what you would do is sign up for the uh, online training with me. Excuse me. And then what you would do is there's a 90 day and, and or th- a 30 day, I think is what it is. I think we have 90 okay. day. Yeah. 30 day and 90 day. So what you would do is send me footage of you working and you can send as many as you want. So you send footage of you working with your dog say, hey, this is what I'm doing. And then I have this software and program where I, where I record myself watching your videos, almost like a reaction video. And okay. I'm walking through every step of the way and telling you what you're doing right, what you're doing wrong, kind of giving you some homework. And then we meet once a week in a group. And it depends on the time. Of, like we just kind of started it and we've had a handful of, like, so sometimes there's three people on, sometimes there's five people on. It just depends on, whatever but they're usually when wednesday evenings is the live and then that's Mm -hmm. your opportunity to actually work with me and ask questions in real time and also learn from the others um so that's the best option and and it's very successful just because like a lot of what i do i don't handle the dog for the owner anyway i literally absolutely that's that's yeah. what we do with obedience too. Our, our trainer does not handle the dog. He gives us homework. We go home for two weeks, do the obedience, come back, and he corrects anything we're doing wrong. Yeah. So, so. Yeah. yeah, so that's a, that's it. So it's called the 90 day online training program. And I watch your videos and I coach you and critique you. And then we also go live so you can ask, like you and your husband can sit down. And that's what happens oftentimes. People will sit down as a family or as a couple uh, on zoom and we'll just ask any other questions. And that's, it's like, it's the, like you're getting just as good information. And in some cases, better information, if you were to work with somebody else in person, just with me online. So that's what I would recommend if you wanted to like go all the way through. And I think you'd be very successful with that. 
Okay, perfect. And when it comes down to the uh, the online training program that you were talking about, um, not the mm-hmm. not the video one, the ones where we like can look through the whole thing like in one night. Yeah, that's just um, that's just the e-collar course. Okay, and do we have full access to that? Like yeah. for the rest of the time, like we just mm-hmm. buy it once. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's yours. Okay, perfect. We would probably want to apply that to the to the little one when she's older. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so. Yeah, so that all sounds perfect. And when it comes uh, when it comes to the uh, your e collar, I was just actually looking on Amazon. Um, did you say it was the Dogtra? Yeah, it's the Tom Davis edition. That's um, is it the two eighty C? Sorry, yes. So the dog Dogtra is the company, and then okay. my unit is the two eighty C Tom Davis edition. Okay. Yeah. So that's that's yeah that's something that you can do, uh, and then. The other thing that you could do is uh, the there's different. It depends on how trying to think like really the big difference between the different um, uh, e-collars is distance. And there's some yeah. other there's some other things like mine has the HPP, which is a pay, like a really intense pager. It's also like colorful. It doesn't right now have a two dog system on it, but we're thinking and trying to work on that. Um, so mm-hmm. if you wanted to do two dogs in the future, you could probably get a, a different e-collar for that. But Dogtra, mm-hmm. I mean, if you want to send me, I, what I plan on doing as well is I'm going to send you like a follow-up email that has all of this. So you have all the links. Um, and then okay. if you have any questions, you can just let me know. But it's that simple. I'll just send everything to your email um, as far as the online training, the e-collar I recommend, the free videos, and the e-collar course. And then you just let me know if you have any questions. But that's the route I would go. Okay, perfect. Uh, thank you so much. It, it actually was a huge relief hearing you, you know, say like, no, you're not like your dog isn't crazy. Like this is normal. Um, just because, you know, you people that don't know Malinois out here in this community, they're kind of like, oh, well, your dog's out of control. I'm like, but he's not though, you know? So I'm, I was relieved to hear you say that. It took a lot off my chest there. Cool. Um, so yeah, that all sounds fantastic we de- i definitely want to go through with the e-collar uh course i want to go through with the virtual uh online work with you cool um and all that you know it, everything you said was fantastic and i really appreciate you taking the time to uh you know talk to me about this and make me feel <laughs> a little less crazy um so yeah that that all sounds great and that email would be fantastic because you know yeah no problem we're, we're we, we can be forgetful. <laughs> yeah, no problem. All right, first question comes from Nerd Scoped. Great show. Thank you. Five-star review. Thank you. Excuse me. We got an eight-month-old female French Mastiff from Humane Society last week, and she is so loving and good with our two boys, but have never owned a big dog before. Is there anything I should do, anything I should watch, any advice for a French Mastiff? Yeah, I'm glad that you got a dog. That's 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 great. Congratulations. I think the most important thing is, is leash leash training obviously with a big dog having your dog walking on the leash is going to be the number one thing but also just the control and relationship you'll build with the dog on the leash is huge so everyone just gets a dog and then they just hope for the best and they don't do any training and so do training do obedience get into a local club um if you want like a place to start obviously my youtube channel my my podcast but also the kickstarter course which is a little bit more in depth on where you should start. That's exactly the course for you. So I made these courses for this reason, guys. Like, yes, obviously I get paid for it and I can pay my gosh darn bills. But at the end of the day, it's for me for for me to go, oh, here, you can we've spent so much time on this. You can watch this. The Kickstarter course is that course. So you can find that in the description below under my courses. Um, that's a great place to start for anybody that has this question. Hey, got this dog. What should I do? That's that course for you. So yeah, uh, hope that helps. Next one comes from poddoc84. No nonsense advice. Thank you. Loves to, love Tom. Sorry, Whew, can't talk. Love Tom's candor and no nonsense approach to training. Not sure he maintains his cool, cool when people ask the questions he's answered a dozen times. Content has helped me develop realistic expectations for our two and a half year old. 75 pound rottweiler bully sibling pups keeping me focused and developing stellar obedience and have control i need when the environment is unpredictable really appreciate all the podcasts and videos the question is 
Thank you for that. One of your pups seems to be one of our pups seems to be more insecure than the other, less able to relax and almost always on alert. Obviously, we do everything we can to drain him mentally and physically because of his working breed tendencies, long distance run with me, fetch, obedience, impulse control, but running, screaming, kids really be a trigger for him. So kids be a tr- wow, kids are a trigger for this dog. We only have an instance where my seven-year-old abruptly came running and screaming out the back door onto the patio where he was lounging and he jumped up and actually ran towards her, grabbed her leg and left one bite that required a sutra. No, oh, that sucks. Obviously, that was very concerning to us, but did seem clearly provoked. Since then, we kennel him in another room if our kids have friends over and he's always supervised and tethered when our kids are around. When he's not good at his place command, while he's not good at his place command, we're clearly not perfect and expected intensity when triggers pop up. We definitely are still working on perfect place commands with different triggers, but I wonder if you think there's any value in spending time counter-conditioning with the kids, for example, a trainer suggests keeping him securely tethered on a leash or on his place since obviously we don't want him to make a bad decision with the kids around, setting them up scenarios where they're running and yelling in distance, and then staying calm. He's e-collar trained in the 2ADC, and he gets to fix it in a trigger we command off, but I'm wondering if it's realistic to think we can ever desensitize the craziness of children. Uh, it's a good question. Um, thank you for giving me that much context. Ah, oh, man. Having a kid myself now... You know, this I can answer this question a lot better, I think. Uh, I would say when you have that big of it, okay, look, you have a dog that is telling you, I'm uncomfortable with this, period. It's not, I don't like kids or I'm annoyed. Maybe that's a little bit of it, but your dog is just at, at its core, I'm uncomfortable with this. And this happens often. Not dogs are good with all kids because of that reason. They yell, they scream, they're unpredictable, they're obnoxious what kids are just ask Lakota my dog (laughs) so you have to I mean safety is number one and I know that you know that so to be honest and I'm going to answer and hey listen you said no nonsense I'm going to give you no nonsense you could counter sure but at the end of the day the situation that happened with the kid's leg is realistically an instinctual reaction and there's no training you're ever going to be able to do to really let your dog be comfortable with that. Sure, you can push the threshold a little bit. You can help your dog become more comfortable. When it comes down to child safety and you have a large, large animal that has already told you, nah, I'm good on this. Because the step from counter conditioning is then letting the dog out and then business as usual. And to me, your dog already said, nah, bro. I don't like that. And if it happens again, it's your fault. So to me, I mean, a couple things. To be be honest with you, I, I would just keep kids away from this dog. I really would. It's just your dog is saying like, hey, I don't like kids. This makes you uncomfortable. Whatever they do is uncomfortable. You can't control the kids. So... Putting them together, like if Lakota, like Lakota is doing much better and I'm getting a puppy next month, you guys are going to get more content than you've ever seen before. <laughs> puppy content. I, I was laughing today. My son, we're kind of kind of starting to potty train my son. He's one and a half, but he's like super into just being an adult, I guess. I don't know. He's, I don't know if he's advanced or what the hell's going on. But anyway, we started it. I don't know what the normal age is. He might be behind. I don't know. Anyway, I'm cleaning up pee because he peed on the floor because he was naked. And I'm sitting there laughing. I'm like, I'm going to have to potty train my puppy and my baby at the same time. And it's going to be hilarious. But Lakota had a, my dog, my dog now, she had a really hard time with him for a long time. Now, now I think because he's becoming more of a human instead of a little baby that's crawling around making noises, she understands more of who he is. She's never in her life ever, I'd never, I I couldn't make this dog bite somebody if I wanted to. So she's never had a problem, but you know, babies are different. It's a different story. And I'll make, I'll make podcasts on this in the future again when I get my puppy, because it'll be a whole new thing. But anyway, my point is, is she's gotten a lot better, but if she ever 
like did something, if one of my dogs ever did that, we would make a decision to either rehome my dog or have a binary black and white. When kids are home, kids are out, dogs away, period. And it just depends on if the quality of life for that dog being away, depending if you have three acres that are fenced in or you work your dog all the time, like that's a conversation. That's a different conversation. But that's it for me. That's what I would say. Keep the dog away. Have really good recall. Have a really good place. And that's it. Just have, you know, with the kids, make sure you go over ground rules if you can. You know, that's what I would do. I wouldn't, what's the point, what's, what's the point of chancing it, you know, because if, if something fails after it already did, right, the levee, the levee's already been punctured through, and if it happens again, you know, anyway, it's just not worth it, it's not worth it, okay, Myra, Myra Cyrus, a few questions. Hey, Tom, I have a two-year-old female Belgian Malinois. Her name is Agis. Agis? I don't know. And we've been struggling with her anxiety. She was a California BYB. I don't know what that means. And she's always had awful anxiety. Uh, she went right... She was right at two when I got her. And I've and I've had her for almost a year now. And she's gone through a, one large wire crate. I've been using my mom's ruffling kennel for now. And she isn't like a normal Malinois. I can't raise my voice with her without being somewhat scared. If I'm visibly annoyed or upset, she'll come up to me and pee herself. I've tried to use one of her tasks to help, and it's been working well. I have a bad habit of bouncing my leg, and I've taught her to paw and alert me when it's happening. So her doing this after I've upset, I've been upset, and she performs this. I'll pet her, and it's perfect, and nothing's ever happened. Calm down and chill. She's a great dog. I love her so much, and we worked with her a lot. She currently knows 46 commands, and I finally able to leave her in her house for 20 minutes at most. Her recall is decent. Um, Just trying to find the question here. Anyway, it's the fact that she can do so good with everything else, yet her anxiety, I'm always stuck on it. I work with her every day. I'm a 12-year-old homeschooled girl, so I have all the time in the world. We work with her about every command. Well, good for you. She also has these three odd times for no reason it has to be for some reason she pees and poops on the floor i've taken her out she's eaten taken her out and then needs to go out also i'm convinced that it could be another part of anxiety which is frustrating but um at this point i've been asking everyone i know including dog breeder about everything i've tried and worked for a while um anyway thanks so much tom i hope you'll make it to one of your episodes because i'm starting to run out of options Really just adjusting and figure out what works best. Well, Myra Cyrus, uh, it's, you know, clinical, when I say clinical, real anxiety is, it can be, can be life changing for humans and with dogs. With humans, we're finding that a lot of anxiety is caused from many things, right? Nutrition, genetics, lack thereof, sunlight, lack thereof, exercise, whatever, right? But sometimes it's just in us and it's hard to get it out or impossible. So I would say that, and it's hard to, it's hard to say, but if it's something that is so ingrained and it's actually there like if it's actual anxiety from trauma stress ptsd all the above etc medication might be a good route like if you're doing all the physical and mental stuff which is great and the dog is still a mess then medication's probably a better route but i don't know it's just what i would say uh so I'd be having, and, and you guys know me. I mean, I'm the last person to say medication unless it's warranted. In this case, it might be. This is about the only time that it's warranted for, for behavioral stuff, right? Too much, too much medication thrown at dogs that just need training and somebody who knows what they're doing versus somebody who can't help you and medication's the next best option. So I would personally say that it's hard to say because judging by what you've said, you could be, here's the thing, is you could be saying all this stuff and then... I see you handle your dog and it's absolutely terrible. And you're talking to your dog too much 
you're popping your dog's leash. These things happen every day. I get a list of things that people do, and on paper it looks great. And then I'm like, all right, come on back and let's work. And they're absolutely setting their dog up for failure. So hiring a trainer that specializes in behavior mod would be helpful as well. Working with anxiety. Uh, and then potentially talking to your veterinarian about some sort of medication to take the edge off. Um, and or maybe CBD. I don't know. It's hard for me to say. You know, this is, a, this is literally a black wall right now. I mean, I'm talking to nobody. So I don't know. But those are my recommendations to start off with. But it sounds like, uh, you know, you're willing to put in the work. I think you're 12. So, I mean, congrats for doing all this work and understanding so much so so far. So that's my recommendation. Uh, I have many options to work with me. So, you know, if your parents, assuming that you don't live alone with your dog, uh, you know, you want to get into some training, that would be, I really need to assess the situation to see what's going on. And I'd be more than happy to do that too. We have all those options online as we discussed in this podcast. Um, okay. Thank you guys for listening. I'll talk to you next time. Have a good day. Bye. Get ahead of the postage rate increases this year with stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code program for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com code program.